Welcome to the podcast from Trinity United Methodist Church in Ruston, Louisiana. Our prayer is that God uses this time to speak specifically to you, regardless of where you are on your faith journey. We'd also like to invite you to worship with us every Sunday morning at 8.30 or 10.45, either in person or online at www.trinityruston.org. Thanks for listening. Nine months from now, on July the 23rd, there will be an event that you and I know as the Olympics. I love the Olympics. The thing that I like the best about those two weeks is when the runner comes in to the arena with the torch. You've seen it on TV. And and this year, when we have that, nine months from now, it'll be 21. We'll actually be celebrating the 20 Olympics. And the torchbearers will begin in ancient Greece. And they'll run for uh, one country and hand it to a person in that country. And the person in that country runs to the next country. And they keep passing the torch country to country. There are some breaks. There's some breaks in the line. But eventually it gets to Tokyo where the Olympics will be this year. And then you've seen on TV, you've seen how the last person, somebody from Tokyo will take the torch. It'll be a noted figure. It's always a secret till that day. And then he runs up the steps and lights the Olympic torch. There are breaks in the line, as I said, but there's a line of torchbearers that have been unbroken from the time of our Lord until today. And today we read a text about divine purpose and human achievement within that purpose. It's the story of Jesus passing the torch to 12 men. It's in the sixth chapter of Mark. We're reading 13 verses. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given to him, that he even does miracles? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And then it says, and they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, only in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his own house is a prophet without honor. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. Calling the twelve to him, he sent them out two by two and gave them authority over evil spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for your journey except the staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra tunic. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if there's any place that will not welcome you or listen to you, 
shake the dust off your feet. And when you leave, as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Standing in this pulpit, 41 years ago, I heard Dr. Merrill, Merlin Merrill, preach an All Saints Day sermon. And the title of it was, The Endless Line of Splendor. I don't remember a word he said in that sermon. I don't even know if this was a scripture he used, but I'll never forget the title. And so I'm borrowing from an old, old sermon today and using that title and that idea for our time together here. Rachel Lindsay put it this way, an endless line of splendor, these troops for, with heaven for home. With creeds they go from Scotland, with incense go from Rome. These in the name of Jesus against the dark gods stand. They gird the earth with valor. They heed their king's command. It's a strange thing to me when you think about it. You will maybe think the same thing. It's a strange thing that Jesus is doing here when he calls these 12 and sends them out because he's passing on to them uh, in this important step in his ministry. In fact, it's the watershed, I think, in his work. He's sending out human carriers, people no different than you and I, and he's trusting this work, this ministry, to human carriers. I call it the big parade of history. If you look in verse 7, that verse that I read right in the middle there, you see that there are two predominant words, two predominant words in Jesus' ministry. The first one is come. The second one is go. Listen to the verse again. Calling the 12 to him. See, he's, he's saying come. And then he sends them out, it says, and gave them authority over evil spirits. Come. It says two chapters prior to this, he called those whom he wanted and they came. It's one of my favorite verses in Mark. He called those that he wanted and they came. They answered. They responded. We've come today to celebrate the lives and to remember many, many people in the big parade of history, this endless line of splendor that have served the king, many that you and I have known. It says in the scripture, come to me, all who labor and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest, come. Later, Jesus says, everything's ready. Come to the marriage feast. He says, come and inherit the kingdom prepared for you. Yes, he called those whom he wanted and they came. And then he says the second word, he says, go. Go and make disciples of all nations. Go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now listen to this next sentence. It's one of the most important sentences in this sermon today. Life is really never fulfilled until... 
until you hear and respond to that word go. If you have a feeling in your heart today and, it, and your, your life is not fulfilled, it may be because you've never responded to what you've heard. And so I have a question for you. The question is probably the most important question in this sermon today. The question is, can he trust you? Can he trust me? Can he trust you to step into this endless line of splendor? Can he trust you to join the big parade? Years ago in this same pulpit, when Dr. Merrill was here, a man came here that was the pastor of the largest Methodist church in the world. It was in the early 80s. His name was Charles Allen. He was the pastor of First United Methodist Church in Houston, Texas. Do any of you remember when he came here? That's been a, yeah, that's been a long time ago. It came to the end of the time for his uh, retirement. And they were scrambling around in Houston, Texas, trying to find somebody to replace him. Can you imagine the largest Methodist church in the world? Charles Allen, if you know anything about him, beloved by many, who can we find to replace him? Well, they looked all over the South, and they found a guy over in Savannah, Georgia. His name was Bill Henson. And Bill tells about how one of the most remarkable Christians, one of the most remarkable saints that he ever knew was in that church that he served there before he came to Houston. He was a patient at Cohen's Old Men's Home in Savannah. He was an honorary member of the administrative boards, administrative board of Bill's church, and he was his new pastor. And so he didn't know this man, but he had heard about him. His name was Richard Sconyers, and he went to the men's home to try to cheer him up. He had the worst kind of arthritis. Every bone in his body was frozen. Richard Sconyers was confined to his room for 10 years, over 10 years, and he says, I was going to cheer him up, but I found out that before I left that room, he cheered me up. He could hardly raise his hands off his lap. He couldn't wash himself. He couldn't feed himself. He couldn't shave himself. He was totally helpless. At, at the start of the day, they would pick him up and put him in a chair. At the end of the day, they'd pick him up and put him back in his bed. It took eight pillows to try to prepare Richard Sconyers for sleep. And Henson said he discovered... He discovered that Richard had a ministry. If someone would take a ballpoint pen and thread it through his gnarl fingers and put tape all around it, set a board across his knees, he could shift his shoulder just a little and move the pen. Can you imagine even writing a single word like that? A ballpoint pen taped moving nothing but his shoulder. Well, he did that, and he decided to write letters. Mr. Sconyers con contacted all the sick people, all the lonely people he had heard about in Savannah, 
And he began to point them to the saving help of Jesus Christ. He wrote between 100 and 120 letters every month. Do the arithmetic, that's 3.6 letters a day. 3.6 letters a day in his ministry of encouragement. Billy Graham, Billy Graham in his magazine wrote about Richard Sconyers. Talked about him on his broadcast. Many people were lifted by this man's spirit. There in Savannah, the Saratoma Club gave him the Service to Mankind Award. All this, all of this, he had to use a stick. A stick not exactly like this, but a stick from a window shade. Do you remember the old window shades? You know what I discovered in preparing this sermon? I discovered that there's not many people in this room today that know what a window shade is. I went places trying to buy. I couldn't find the stick. This is a, this is a dowel rod. But the stick in the window shade is a little shorter than this. And it's flat. And it's very thin. It's right at the bottom. And you just... How many of you know what I'm talking about? Well, there's more old people here than I, than I thought there was. And he would, he would take this stick, as gnarled as he was, and put it under his arm. And if his handkerchief was over here, he would take the stick and somehow get the handkerchief to wipe the tears in his eyes or try to wipe his nose. And he did this year after year after year. Bill said, I, I never saw Mr. Sconyers down very often. He said uh, he had a resiliency that never let him stay down very long. He said, I think it was because his life was so centered in other people. And prior to leaving Savannah, Mr. Sconyers said, Bill, I, would you make me one promise? Just one promise. Will you come back from Houston and do my funeral? Bill said he would, and of course he went and became the minister of the largest Methodist church in the world. And he was very busy. But when he passed away, Mr. Sconyers nursed called Bill and said, Dr. Henson, do you remember you promised that you'd come back and do Richard Sconner's funeral? He said, I'm honest with you, I forgot it. But now that you've reminded me, yes, I'll come. And so he flew back to Savannah, Georgia. He met the longtime nurse there. And she told him it was Mr. Sconyer's desire that you could have one of his very modest possessions. She pointed over to a little air conditioning unit that was in the window, very small. A class had given it to him. He said, no, uh, not that. And she says, well, what about the TV set? At a little 10-inch TV set. He said, no, I don't think I want that. And then she pointed him to his old dog-eared Bible over on the edge of the bed. And he looked at that and he said, no, I, I don't think I want that. He said, I think I startled her. 
when I requested that she give me that old stick that was over in the corner of the room that he used to fetch his handkerchief with. He said, I wanted to take it back to Houston. I wanted to hang it in my study. I wanted to look at it every day so that it could remind me what God can do in the life of any person who sincerely wants to help others. I think of this endless line of splendor. I think of people that you and I have sat in here, funerals for them. I went and got the church directories from this church a couple of weeks ago from 1979 until now. I looked at the pictures in every one of those directories, your mother, your father, and I could point to many of you. And I thought, these are the people that are in the endless line of splendor. These who have given themselves to help others. These that we could tell story after story after story about. The saints, the saints of old and the saints of today. And today we've come here in that endless line of splendor ourselves. We, like they, are the human carriers, the big parade, Paul and Barnabas, Timothy, Martin Luther, John Wesley, Francis Asbury, Doug McGuire and his sidekick, Otis Spinks, Donnie Barmore, who we had his funeral Thursday, Merlin Merrill. Do you realize that there was a period when Doug and Merlin were here back to back. Do you realize that this church had two of the best ministers that this conference has ever had? And this church had them for 24 straight years right here, back to back. Oh, you talk about the endless line of splendor. How fortunate we've been. Ordained by God at baptism to share Christ's ministry in the world. The honor given to us by Christ. Listen to this sentence. There are plenty of people who will deny. They will decline that honor. But we're here today and we're all priests and likely to wear a hundred different hats. Social worker, farmer, teacher, cook, babysitter, marriage counselor, cheerleader, friend, but priest of God, remember that they're God's person and they do this in God's name. Where has uh, Christ called you to ministry? Where has he said, come and now go? God creates and he tells Adam and Eve to tend the garden. Look after it, enjoy it. And it's like God says, I've enjoyed creating beauty and order in the world. Now you two try it for yourselves. And then Jesus later comes into the world and he proclaims the advent of God's reign and he heals and feeds and redeems the lost and reaches to the poor and needy. And he says, I've enjoyed doing the work of God. Now you try it for yourselves. And then Jesus gives them some advice. The next verse, verse eight says, these were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey but a staff. No bread, bag, money. Wear sandals. Don't have an extra coat. 
whenever you enter a house and so forth. Take nothing. It's like he's saying, you're the equipment. You don't need those things. You don't need a lot of the things that we think we need. You are the equipment. Don't think you need a lot of extra stuff for this journey. Keep it simple. Get on with the work. I recall a story about a, a man and lady, husband and wife that were taking a, a trip and they got on a plane. They got on the plane, you do what you usually do. You know, you've got to get your seat just right and put stuff over the deal. And, and uh, it, do you want the tray up or down? And the ladies, you know, they're adjusting their dress just right. And this lady was doing all of that. She forgot a book that she wanted to read and it was up on the rack and she got up there and the husband had to get out of the way and he got through there. She got back in, had to rebuckle her her seat belt and she had trouble she couldn't buckle it and he had to help her buckle it and she's just all over the place trying to get everything you know right and finally the husband can't take it any longer and he says Ethel that was her name he says Ethel this trip is going to be over before you're fixed <laughs> folks I want to tell you something this morning heed the words that you hear when Jesus gives his instructions in here, it's very simple. And you've got to be careful in this old life. Or this trip's going to be over before you're fixed. Don't spend all your life trying getting ready to live and then the trip be over. I recall a man who had a son that didn't like school too much. He entered college and decided he's going to drop out. He's just going to quit. And the father said, son, I tell you what, I'll pay every penny for your college if you'll just get your degree. And so uh, he says, do you mean that you'll pay for my dorm room? Yes. Will you pay for uh, my books? Yes. You pay my tuition? Yes. You pay for gas for my car? Yes. What about a meal ticket? Yes. He, everything he named, the father said, yeah, I'll take care of all of that. Well, 25 years later, the guy's still in college. <laughs> Always getting ready. Never answering the goal just to come trying to get fixed oh these saints of old I wonder what they would say to us today these names that were called as a smoke rose and I wonder what they would say to us today it says in verse 11 whenever people won't receive you when they won't receive you or listen shake the dust off your feet and leave I've had people ask me in Bible studies and Sunday school classes classes for all the years I've been a minister about that verse. What does that mean? Shake the dust off your feet. I think it means don't be discouraged. I could be way wrong, but I'm going to go with that till somebody can tell me something different. Don't be discouraged in this trip of life. Remember the saints of old. Remember those that are in this endless line of splendor. And remember the instructions they've given to us and pass along to us. Go on in spite of failure. Close that chapter. Start the next. Do you realize how this passage starts? Jesus was rejected himself in his hometown. 
It's funny. It's funny to me. I always imagined when I was a kid that adults had some kind of inner toolbox full of shiny tools, the saw of discernment and the sandpaper of patience and the hammer of wisdom. But when I grew up, I learned something else. I found that life handed you these rusty old bent tools, friendship and prayer and conscience and honesty. And then life said to us, do the best you can with these. They'll have to do. And mostly against all odds, they'll be enough. Verse 8 says, don't think you need a lot of equipment. You're the equipment. Keep it simple. As I look back, I think that these saints of old, this endless line of splendor, splendor that these people are in, I think they knew that. I think they knew how simple to keep it and make it. I don't even remember her name. It was 41 years ago. That's half my life ago. The second half of life, I've gotten to where I can't remember names from five years ago. I don't remember her name. We lived in Denison. We were fixing to leave there in about four weeks and come here. And I went to her house to take her communion like I tried to about every other month. She was huddled in her wheelchair, kind of like this, just kind of huddled down. There was a TV tray. You, you didn't remember the stick. Do you remember TV trays? Any of you? How many remember TV trays? Oh, same people. <laughs> and I took the little TV tray and I turned it in between us. I turned it into an altar. I put my portable communion set down on it. The tiny little cup like you've got in your hand right now. And the bread holder. Yellow rose from her garden was there that the sitter had put out. A paper, not a cloth, but just a plain paper white napkin. And because she was 97 years old and almost blind, I, I suggested that she not bother with her prayer book. I suggested that I just read all the lines and read hers too. And just join in the parts you know is what I said to her. And she nodded. And we started. And when I got to the great Thanksgiving and raised my hands, she raised hers too as high as she could. Sleeves falling down her old bony arms. Norrell fist up in the air trying to raise her hands. And we faced each other. Mirror images of one another. And I said, Holy and gracious Father, in your infinite love, you made us for yourself. And she said simply, In your infinite love. It's like she was tasting each word. And I said, And when we had fallen into sin and become subjects of evil and death, you in your mercy sent Jesus Christ. And she said, in your mercy, Father. And she smiled as she said it. It was like someone had come into the room 
that she knew very well. I turned and looked at the door. I saw no one. But she saw someone that I couldn't see. And when I realized she meant to say the whole prayer with me, I waited for her to catch up and we prayed it together. Our voices looping through one another, kind of like a duet. I thought they were my lines, but they turned out to be hers as well. You see, no one had fooled her through those years. All those years she sat watching someone else bless the bread and the wine. She knew she was a priest. She knew she was a saint. She knew she was one of those in that endless line of splendor. I want to read for you the last two verses in a different version than what you saw on the screen. This is how this story ends. This is how this passage ends. And this is written by Eugene Peterson in The Message. And then they were on the road. They preached with joyful urgency that life can be radically different. Right and left, they sent the demons packing. They brought wellness to the sick, anointing their bodies, healing their spirits. This endless line of splendor, these troops with heaven for home, with creeds they go from Scotland, with incense go from Rome. These in the name of Jesus, against the dark gods stand, They gird the earth with valor. They heed their king's command. I think we should pray. Lord Jesus, you you don't work alone. We can't understand that you could do it. But you call ordinary people like us here and those that have gone on to heaven with you to be your disciples. And we thank you, Father, for all the saints that have gone before us. We thank you for your graciousness in calling even us. And our prayer is that you would please give us what we need to be faithful disciples. You've given us good work to do. We pray that you'd keep giving us the gifts that we need to do your work. And we ask all of this in the strong and the powerful and the precious name of Jesus. In that name, the name above all names. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Podcast. To find out more about Trinity, visit us online at www.trinityreston.org.